You're listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I'm going to tell you something, people. My bachelor party is this coming Wednesday. And that's when you know you're old, when your bachelor party is on a Wednesday night. And all we're doing, we're doing nothing big. We're going down the street, watch the Phillies, and eat crab legs. So that's how exciting my life is these days. And a younger guy asked me, he goes, well, why don't we go to a strip club? And I'm like, because if you're over 50 and you're not in a heavy metal band, stop with the strip clubs. Anyway, we have a great show today. A very accomplished TV writer who actually just came out with a book called Don't Wait Up, Confessions of a State Work Mom. And my guest is Liz Astroff. How are you doing, Liz? Hi, good. Happy, um, congratulations. Yeah. I'm assuming you're getting married if you're like, having a bachelor party. No, I just like that bachelor party. Or you're just having one. <laughs> yeah, for the hell of it, because I'm crazy like that. Well, congratulations on that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I want to talk you. I want to talk about your TV career, because it's been, you've had a great career. Um but the book, you've come up, what made you decide to write a book? I know your book came out July 30th. Great reviews on yeah. Amazon. Uh, a lot of people you've worked with wrote some good intros. I know uh, Whitney Cummings and a few other people wrote, you know, blurbs for your book. What made you at this point write a book? Um, I decided years ago, I had all these like stories I wanted to tell from my childhood and stuff and now and I wanted them to be from my perspective and I wanted to do something different. I've been working in TV for like 14, 15 years and um, I wanted to do something that was just mine and also different from the whole like TV process. So I took a class at UCLA Extension, like a night class and um, in personal essay writing and I loved it. And then, I mean, it was a long process and then afterwards I you know, I, I worked with a professor one-on-one who gave me notes, and then she, um, I didn't read her pilot, so she stopped speaking to me, <laughs> and then, um, and, you know, and then I found a book agent, and it was just a slow process, and I didn't really think that it would ever get published, but I was always, I was always, like, very, I just wanted to do something different. I've always wanted to write a book, and I wanted to do something separate from TV. Now, so, when you... Happened. Went to look for a, a, a book agent. Was it easy for you to get an agent because you already have an agent? Because you, as I said, you're a working writer. Yeah, I was. It was easier for me. Someone told me, like a cousin who works in publishing, told me that I won't get published because I'm not famous and I don't have like a big enough platform. So I was like, okay, well now I have to because I have to prove that this guy doesn't isn't right. But um, but that is definitely a concern. So I found my agent here. Um, my TV agent sent the essays to a book agent in New York and we had a conversation and this is like three years ago probably or four years ago and um, and she read a bunch of my stuff and she gave me notes and, and all that so that's how that started I, it was definitely easier for me to get an agent but because I have a TV agent but also I always help people and pay it forward and I'm, I'll always send stuff to my agent for them now, if they're not in TV you said they sent you notes now I'm sure you're used to the writer's room and uh all yeah. the notes you get there. What's the difference when you're writing just your book? Are the notes easier for you to get done, or is there a timeline? Because you know you wrote for uh, sitcoms, and there's right. you have to do the show. There's no timeline, which is almost worse because then you're kind of like, I might not do this. I might just decide to not do it. Um, and the notes are the notes from my book agent were really hard, and they really like pushed me to think and. Um, it was. I remember being in a ball at a birthday party at my kid's kid because I'd gotten notes from a book agent is different than a TV agent. They they're so much more editorial and they like they are creative and they 
give you like really comprehensive notes and I just didn't it was so over my head and then I just made myself do it and figured it out and you know it was hard but there is no timeline in any time you could just say I'm not gonna do it and then just not do it so I'm happy that I did it now was it hard for you to collect material and decide what material you wanted to do and what material didn't make it in a book or is that mostly your your publisher talked to you about it well I decided with because I would never think that I would write a mom book because I'm so not like a mom mom although my my brother had labeled me a stay-at-work mom very early on and um so that's like what I go by but the thing that all the essays I needed an arc and the thing that the agent noticed in all the essays even though they're from completely different times is that they all went back to my mother or being a mother so or why I am this way so we created that arc and then whatever fit in or didn't fit in we kind of lost or kept and then um when I sold the proposal there were like seven I think seven essays already in there and we lost two of them and then um you know, and then I added, and then there were a bunch I wrote that were too inside, like too TV, and, you know, you spend a lot of time and just throw stuff out, but, um, yeah, so they tell you, like, what, oh, by the way, the publishing notes, though, the editor, the Simon & Schuster editor, was the best experience. It's so much more of a writer's medium than, like, they, like, let you do whatever you want. Like, if you want to do this, it's very supportive and lovely. So, she was amazing. Now, what was it like, because now you're name is on the front of a book. Now, when TV, you know, I'm one of those people that reads who the producers are because I end up getting a lot of them on my show and the writers. But a lot of times people, they don't, I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, that think that people don't write TV shows. I think they just think some, some people, there's a part of this country that thinks that people, they put the stars up there and they just wing it. And, you know, that's just, I know. There's people. So for you, what's it like? (laughs) They're ad-libbing. Uh, yeah, I know. It's like, hey, yeah, we're going to do a 20, 22-minute show. Um, yeah. Because I, I used to do stand-up comedy. And uh, for okay. years, I was on the road, and people would be like, oh, so you just come up with that stuff? I'm like, no, I just can't walk up and come up with 40 minutes of material. People don't get that comedy right. is a very hard right. So, well, people still ask me, like cousins and stuff. There's this one cousin who still asks me the process of TV writing to the point where I want to, like, pull my eyes out and he's like so which character do you write for and I just say how would I write for one character and then we put them all together and now I just say I write for Caroline it's just easier but nobody knows what <laughs> what goes into it it's so funny to me um yeah so so what was it like now that people see your name and now the reviews if someone doesn't like a show you work on I'm sure it doesn't they, they never go after writers by personal right you know. there's like 20 of us right never are oh god yes I didn't know about book reviews, and then I, someone asked me if I got, like, my Kirkus review, and I was like, what the hell is that? And then um, I did, and it was, it was good, and then, but there was one word in it that said, like, she mostly does something, so all I saw was the word mostly, (laughs) but it is, it is more, um, you're so much more exposed. Oh, my God, a thousand times, a billion. You can't hide behind someone else. Right. (laughs) And plus, it's your life, so it's like, oh, we didn't think her life was that funny. No, no thanks. I just didn't, no. Well, I give it one star. Yeah, exactly. You're like, what the hell? It's my life, you jackass. Yeah, this um, is me. I can't make sorry, <laughs> genie two. Now, now, so. what, what are the kids, what do your kids think of it? You know what? I didn't even, my son's principal was like, you're probably going to want to write them a letter before they read it. 
And I was like, I, I thought I, because I pulled back on everyone so much that I thought everyone, like, everyone came off so good. But I guess, um, and then the cover of the book is like, some people want to have kids. Then there's Liz Astroff. And I'm like, oh, I guess I have to prepare them for that. <laughs> I, right now I just take grab it from them and just tell them that it's dedicated to them. But I guess I will have to, I think they're, they're like, proud of me and stuff, but I don't know if I'm going to have to, like, warn them. Now, now, how did you get into writing? Were you a, were you a creative kid, or what were your? Because I know your brother is a, a very I was successful. A derelict. Were you? What, what, I was, how were you a derelict? What was so derelict? Were you a oh, pot I smoker? Stole a or? lot. Stole a lot. I did very badly in school, but I would like. I ha- I showed I showed intelligence in other ways in my stealing, and also in my um, plagiarizing. <laughs> And my um, getting away with shit, which I really didn't get away with that much. But he, my brother was valedictorian, and I was failing everything. But I realize now that I just had ADHD, like my son. But nobody was on like on top of that stuff. So nobody knew anything. But I was always creative. I was a really good liar. I think that's where it started. <laughs> and I watched so much TV as a kid that it just like the whole rhythm of all of it and the whole like the way a sitcom needs to go, like the music of it or whatever, is just in my head like like all the time. What were some of your so favorites? What were some of your favorites as a kid? Um my favorites were Burn and Shirley loved. The Odd Couple is like my the original Odd Couple is my favorite all time favorite show. All in the family, different strokes. What's happening? Um, what else? Oh my God, everything. Oh, and then um, Facts of Life. Oh my God, I love the Facts of Life. Family Ties. Like every night of the week, Alice. Every night of the week was a different like lineup. And it was it went on for like 10 years. And now there's like one show that's on for three weeks. I can't even get invested in anything. It's, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, my fiance, she loves TV. Like I said, I said, you'll pay the cable bill because we don't need all those stations. And she goes, well, that's my one. She doesn't drink really. She doesn't do anything. She says, that's my one vice. I said, all right. But, you know, we try to watch some shows together and it's just tough because, you know, unless it's on, unless it's on HBO or Showtime, which, you know, Showtime just had City on a Hill with Kevin Bacon, which was amazing. um, It's, it's hard to to find a show. And I think we grew up uh, when when there was much, there was, as you're right, every night there was great TV. Yeah, like I remember the Monday night lineup was like Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Alice, well, one day at a time I loved, and then like Tuesday, well, no, Tuesday night was Laverne and Shirley. I just remember the, the always, the, there was always a lineup every day of the week. Thursday was um, Cosby and uh, Family Ties, and it was just every, but that just like went away. I know, like unless you can binge watch something, and the fact that my kids, when we watch stuff, they can watch like 100 episodes of The Office now. They don't know about like commercials. They don't know about having to wait till the next week. <laughs> but it's terrible. So so you're a huge TV fan as a kid. At what point yeah. do you decide, and you're a derelict, what point do you decide that you're not going to be a derelict anymore and you're going to become a TV writer? What was the process there? It wasn't a direct leap. I was going to be, I started doing better in high, I did well in high school and then in college I went to Syracuse for communications, but I went for advertising. I wanted to write commercials, and um, I wanted to do something in TV, but I wanted to be, I majored in copywriting, and I wanted to be in, write ads, and then um, it didn't happen. I graduated in a recession. There were no jobs and whatever, and then I got fired from every single office job I've ever had for my lack of attention to detail, and I sent out a, um, a presentation, I remember, for 
I worked at Bridal Guide magazine as an assistant to the publisher, and I sent out a presentation for Bloomingdale's without a G. Like, to, like, <laughs> like from, like, a major magazine. Things like that. So I got fired from everything. And then I was working in, like, stock photography, and my brother was working on Friends. And he, um, he was like, you should be a comedy writer. You should move to L.A. And he was, like, at the top of, like, he's like, it's amazing, you know. And I was living in New York, and um, I took this. He bought me this stand-up class. And I started doing that and started doing, like, sketch comedy, and I loved it. And then... And then I got a job on Spin City as a PA and just wound up moving out here. But I really didn't think it was going to work out. I was like, it's, I'm just going to try it. I'm going to fail within two years and be, be done. So I always ask my guests, where was the first place you moved to when you were moved to L.A.? I moved, well, I lived on my brother's floor on a mattress in, in um, Hollywood Hills for a while. And then I lived in, I lived in Beverly Hills, but like the flats in a studio. Same with the bed on the floor. Right. So now... And now I'm in the valley, which is crazy. I don't know how I wound up here. I, I lived in Burbank for 15 years, and I really enjoyed it. I just... The rest of L.A. just scares me now. So I'm like, I know. Like, I have to take a Xanax when I go over... I'm a valley person now, and I have to be fine with it. It's, it's I, I try to explain to people that there are tents everywhere, and they're like, oh, you're full of crap. I'm like, no, there are tents everywhere. Tents everywhere, yes. So... Yes. So yeah. now, since your brother was on Friends, could he give you leads to get you some work, or how did you start writing scripts? Well, he helped us. So I met a writing partner in a writing class in New York, and he was like, you need a partner, because he had a partner at the time. So I met this woman. We barely knew each other, um, and we decided to be partners, and then it's like a marriage, and I write about this in the book, but it's totally a marriage, and you're married to this person who I barely knew, and we came out here together with a spec script, and... Jeff and his partner were leaving their agent and looking for a new one, and it was like the perfect time because they were all, we had a Fraser spec, and they were all over us to sign us because Jeff was deciding which agency to go to. So we signed with ICM. It was ridiculous. And then um, we didn't get staffed, and they dropped us. And then, so, I mean, he definitely, he definitely helped a lot. And then we got into the Warner Brothers writing program, but they let us know when we got in that, and I'm sure he had some, like he helped that he was worked on a Warner Brothers show, but they let us know that the only reason we got accepted was because the people, the last people dropped out. And they kept saying that. And I was like, okay, well, you know, thanks. And then only the first day they said only three entities will wind up working after this out of like 28 people and, and did, we were one of the three okay so what did you what you worked is that when you wrote for jesse or when did you yeah that's when we got hired on jesse and you know that was a bright Kaufman crane show like friends so i mean they definitely had connections but for sure and nepotism helped me immensely but you know you have to like stand on your own once you're there and then my writing partner and i split up the following year and you know and i had to be on my own and, and you still have to but Jeff definitely helped a lot I mean I was very lucky now, in that way now when you started or it could have been a disaster but it worked out so when you started writing for Jesse and you started early in your career it's such a boys club you know you hear that you know the, the yeah. writers room is a bunch of a lot of more ex stand-ups who are not don't want to be on the road anymore what's it like for you coming in as a woman is there do you have to earn your respect more than a, a, a writer that you're better than or how did that work because I mean it's Especially back then. As a, as a 
a lower level woman especially yes for sure there are less women it was like a quota thing that happened to be a very inclusive nurturing great job um, everyone was really nice and inclusive and everything, but you have to, like, know your place, and I didn't know that. Like, you're not allowed to, you know, when you're a staff writer, you shouldn't pitch that much, and you kind of have to just, like, be lucky to be there kind of thing. Um, but it's such a boys' club, and it's so intimidating, and people really still don't think women are that funny. So you always have to prove yourself a little bit more. Um, and there are very few, there aren't that many female comedy writers either. So, um, but it was fun because I could laugh all day, and, and like eat snacks and get paid. Right. <laughs> now, you ended up after a few different shows, you ended up on Becker. What was that like? Because Ted Danson's like the consummate professional. I mean, the guy's always working. So nice. He was such he is such a nice guy. So sweet, so kind. I mean, you don't have to be. I've worked with a lot of people that aren't and he was he was like a lovely lovely guy. I I loved him. He was great. So you And that show was that show was good because the hours were really good, I remember. And it was a funny show. I oh, think it was, it was funny. I mean, old people really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> so you're doing that. Now, do you feel that your your career, you're growing? I mean, are you are you thinking you can get a producer job soon? Or what was your uh, path to that? I think you just kind of, like, move up the ranks on a show like you just it's just like producer credit they just give you like a higher credit the next year it's part of your like contract but there's always that fear that you're never going to work again for sure so I mean you hope to keep rising up and then you don't even want you don't like the jobs where you have the most responsibility are almost worse because like you were saying like now you're in the line of fire and you're you have to pay attention all the time and you're you know in the front of something so those lower level jobs are kind of kind of better in a way because you're safer there's not as much expected of you. But yeah, I just, I just, you know, it's, it's always a frenzy. It's always like, I'll never work again. And every, I liked getting on a show that had returning seasons because then I had a home. Right. Otherwise every year it was like back to watching pilots and you don't know if you're taking a job on a show that's going to do well or not, or what the hours like it's going home. You're there till like two in the morning every night. Like you just don't know. Now you ended so, up, you ended up on King of Queens. Yeah. What was that like? Because you, it was, you had a really good characters to write for. They were so funny. That was such a funny show, and I was that was such a dream job to get because I remember it was like between that or Will and Grace. Um, I was meeting on both of them, and I really, even though Will and Grace was like a bigger hit show and like splashier, I desperately wanted to. I mean, it was so my wheelhouse to write for those people, like middle class people in Queens, and the cast was so funny. I mean, it was it was really great to write for them. We had to write um, longer scripts because they talk so fast. Okay. <laughs> so our scripts, our hours were not good, though. Yeah, we were there. We just had this culture of being there until, like, 3 in the morning a lot. We would watch the sky change from, like, light darker to lighter blue. Stuff like that. Awful. That's thunder. Uh, now, being the writer, do you get a high when one of your jokes kills... Like, let's say King of Queens, you know, when Kevin James said something. Did, when, when it was one of your lines, does that give you a, the rush? It's like you're happy for, like, a second. I'll start sweating. If I, get, if I get too much positive attention, I start, like, I have to start, like, taking layers off because um, it's uncomfortable. But, I, you love, yeah, you feel like, oh, my God, I can do this. I'm good at this. And then two seconds later, you're miserable again. And you're like, I don't think I can do that again. That was a fluke. 
Now, how would you, when you would leave, let's say, why did you leave King of Queens? Did it go off the air or did you want to it find something? It was done. We finished. Okay, yeah. so, so now since you came off a show like that, because it was a hit, is it easier to fall into a new gig? Um, I think that that credit helps for sure. I think so. It usually gets you, like, I think I had a development deal off of that, and it does help you get development deals with studios because they want you to create something. If you were, like, one of the voices behind that show, they want you to create something new. So that's where they get, you know, it's definitely easier to get those deals off of um, when you're on a hit show, when you're on a good show. So what kind of show are you looking for when you leave that? Were you looking for, I mean, you probably you wanted to stay in sitcoms, I'm sure, but what was there a certain show you had in mind you wanted to write for? Um, probably, I, I probably wanted to do single camera at that point. Like, I was ready to do, like, not an audience show, like a, a single camera shot, you know, shot differently, like The Office or something, rather than, like, an audience show. But I think back then... I mean, maybe I was just looking, I don't remember where I went right after that, but I, maybe I was just looking for the next show like that, you know, the next, or the next home, actually, the next show that's going to be on for nine years. Right, because you went to Kath and Kim, I believe. Yes, which was my favorite show, one of my favorite shows to work on ever. Why? That's right. So I went on, it was so funny, it was so silly, and the original, the Australian version, is hysterically funny, and um, I would just cry watching it. I don't have that experience that much where it was just so silly and so broad and ridiculous, but also grounded that I loved it. And I loved working on it because there were just a few of us writing it. Um, it was like a weird situation. It was like picked up without like any kind of like real pickup. And it was only like three of us who started together and we wrote most of the scripts. It was only six, going to be six episodes. And then I think it did like 17 or something, but it was just a few of us. We um, used a lot of the Australian stuff, but a lot of our own stuff. And the character, the cast, I mean, Molly Shannon was amazing, and Michael Higgins is hysterical, and Mikey Day, and Selma Blair. It was such a good cast. And um, it was just really, really funny, and it was a nice set, and we were given a lot of responsibility, and um, it was great. It was great. Even when I was, like, it was, like, 7 o'clock in the morning in Burbank and it was like 900 degrees out and I had to be there for 13 hours. It was still even great. So you're going from different shows. I mean, and then you, I know you at one point were writing, working for a Raising Hope, which that must yeah. have been fun because I think, didn't Tim Stack write on that? Who? I love Tim Stack. He's, yes, he's, he's the best. Yeah, he's he a, is. He's, I love him, love him, love him. Yeah, because he came, he did my show when I used to do it in the studio and he was just such a nice guy. And it's, I, mean, I love him. He was right. I believe he was writing for that, right? Yes, yes, that's where I met him. Um, that was a really funny show. We didn't really go to the set, though, on that show. Um, Greg Garcia, who created it, kind of kept the writers. So he dealt with that stuff, and the writers were in the writers' room and stuff. But that was like, I was very proud of working on that show. I wasn't there that long because I left to try and develop my own thing. And, and then I went on Last Men Standing after that just for the first year. And, um, but I thought I liked Raising Hope also. Now, what were you trying to develop when you left? Did you have an idea? Did you have your pilot? Or what? how did, how did that yeah, work? Yeah, I wrote, I had some pilot. I mean, I always, like every year, would develop something. And it would ultimately, you know, I would ultimately get heartbroken. And then one year, I wrote a pilot about my husband and I. And his name is Todd, and everyone calls him poor Todd. And um, something happened, and I decided to write about it. Um, I think it was right after Kath and Kim. It was after Kath and Kim. 
and I was pregnant with my daughter, and I wrote it, and NBC bought it, and they bought it in, like, May, and I wrote it on spec, they bought it in May, and then they don't pick stuff up until the following, like, March, and again, it, like, got really close, and then it, like, fell through the cracks, it was devastating, so my husband wants to direct, and he needed a reel, so a few years ago, I was like, why don't we just produce it, produce poor Todd, so we produced it, the actors did it for free, and they all got work out of it, and everyone, like, every, it was great and then it won um the la comedy festival and the new york pilot festival and um yeah it did it was that was very satisfying although you know nothing wound up happening with it but that's that's that always it. sucks when you hear that like people say they have the best that's project fine. you know like this project was perfect but for some reason you know one executive doesn't like it or the executives True. like it, and then someone gets fired. So I guess we're going to change yeah. the whole spectrum of the network. And it really sucks because I've heard that from so many writers that these, these... That's exactly what happened. And you never want to be the person who's like, it almost got made, though, and it was like just so, some like fuck-up. But, you know, like with Poor Todd, um, it was with Conan's company, and then Conan left, and NBC, and then Conan left NBC. And then, like, it was on all these lists of shows that were getting picked up, so I had all these producers emailing me saying I'd love to be the line producer on this and then my husband works in post-production and they were like and people at Technicolor and stuff were like do you know anyone on Poor Todd because we want to do that show and like it just was and then it doesn't get picked up and the same thing like a couple years ago I had a pilot that that they were telling me to like look for a director and then at the last minute it just didn't go you never know which way the wind's going to be blowing you can't care about anything but you do but you can't now what was it like writing on Last Man Standing, because I, you know, I, I don't really watch it that much, but they say it was a very conservative show. And is... It, yes. I was only there the first year, but it was a really tumultuous year because um, it was Tim's first, it was our, the first year. Also, Tim complained about being back in TV. I don't know why he wanted to be back in TV because he kept saying he doesn't want to be back in TV. But um, our showrunner, Jack Burdett, who I love and adore, he had a family tragedy and left and um, early and then another guy like it was kind of like we didn't have a showrunner and it was kind of just like it was a mess and then they brought someone in who wasn't great and then it was just it was just a year of like a lot of like two o'clock in the morning you know it was funny and stuff but it was just a, it was a t- very tumultuous year so you and get then they just anyway I left then you after left. that and then you ended up on Whitney, and that, that must have been great because she's yeah. she's such a funny stand-up, and yeah, she's great, and it's a yeah. woman's viewpoint. I mean, it's you know, it's her show. That must be great for a female writer, just because it's like, hey, she's she's in my camp. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, she's awesome, and I spent a lot of time with her. And then um, that show was really funny. It just didn't stay on the air. You just never know. But it, I. I definitely proud of that and it was great to work for her and she's definitely a very hardworking person <laughs> I don't know how she has so much energy but um, yeah that was that was good and then and she helped create Two Broke Girls so after that um, I went on Two Broke Girls now you were an executive producer you moved up to executive producer when you were there what is the what is the job details for an executive producer let's say or a co-executive producer how much more responsibility do you have a lot. It's well from co-executive producer to producer. I mean, I was kind of doing an executive producer job when I was a co-EP, and what that is, there are like a lot of co-EPs. But when you're an executive producer, you 
often like you'll run the writer's room and you'll like you'll be in charge of rewrites and stuff like that with like a whole and delegating and like the whole room of people and also like interpreting the notes from the network or the studio and you definitely have a lot more responsibility you can't check out that's what it is you can't like sit in the room and like fall asleep or zone out or doodle if you doodle, you have to be paying attention to. Right. Well, you know, the funny thing about Two Broke uh, Girls is it was my my fiance loved that show. And oh. when it got canceled, you guys were getting good numbers. I don't I don't understand. Like she was like, holy that was crap. A total political. That was a political. I remember I was at my kid's school for like birthday snack. And I got a text saying, it's dead. And I just screamed, it's dead. And everyone knew what I was talking about. Like everyone works in TV. And then the school nurse was like, patting my back and she was like it's such a fickle business um but she, <laughs> but it was crazy it was totally a political thing it was about like back end points and stuff that like because all the contracts were up like I guess with the syndication I have no idea but it was it was definitely political and the show was doing really well and it was sad because we didn't really get to finish we were hoping for like even like 13 episodes in the last season to tie things up and um for the girls I mean you start on this journey with them six years earlier and you don't really know how it ends. It was sad. I hate that when it happens. I always hate when you love a show and then it, they just, it ends and you don't know what happened. It's worse than when it's in like a yeah, drama. Yeah. There's like a cliffhanger and you're like, did he get shot? And, and then you never know. I know. I feel like it's not nice. It's, it's really bad. Like I was like, they're not going to cancel it. I mean, we don't know what happens. They would never cancel it. And then just like that, it got canceled. I mean, we were waiting for the pickup. It was literally a situation where the wind blew a certain way, and it was over. Now, it was crazy. It was definitely, I was very sad, very um, sad about it. That show, though, I, I actually I did background on that show once, and they I was oh. at a hockey game, and I, they paid in my chest. We were in the very beginning, and of course, everyone's like, oh my God, we saw you on TV. I'm like, yeah, I, I got, I didn't, I didn't get paid a lot. But it, it's, yeah. it seemed in the taping, though, that, it seemed like a lot of participation in people adding jokes. Like, yes, I mean, now, rewriting. Now, how does that, was that from the the execs or is that from yeah, you no. guys? That's usually from, that was from Michael Patrick King, the showrunner. That was like, if a joke didn't get a big enough laugh, sometimes the executives would like run in, but that was really a lot of like beating jokes and beating jokes and beating jokes and making them better and better and better and um, stuff that, had worked we would be sick of so we would try to beat those and there wasn't a lot of rewriting there was a lot of joke rewriting but there wasn't a lot of like story rewriting at all but we did go late all the time because you know we did so many passes on things also the audience of something and stops laughing so you know but then we act like it means the joke doesn't work so sometimes you overcorrect a lot now that also a lot of your lines were risque how did they get a push past yeah. network? Because it was network. You know, it's weird because I, I watched a show called uh, Snowfall on uh, FX. And because it's on cable, even though it's not HBO, right. they're dropping F-bombs, which blew my mind. But for your show, it was, <laughs> it was very risky. I mean, how did, did so, you... Like, I didn't want my parents to know I worked there. It was crazy. They would come in a lot. The um, network, like standards and practices, would, like, come running in if there were anything. Like, we got away with so much, though. It was shocking. I guess there was enough innuendo that they couldn't really... You know, you could you could argue either way, but, but we got away with a ton. Now, it, it must have been pretty cool to work with Garrett Morris because, you know... Oh, 
I love him. He's a legend. Yeah. Yeah, and he's very funny, and he's, yeah, he's a legend. He's amazing. The, the whole cast on Two Broke Girls was, they were so talented, and so they were so kind and not at all um, changed by success, really. They really were a great group of people. That's another reason why it's sad when it ends. Didn't the one go out with Josh Groban? Yes. It was like the weirdest yeah, couple. When I heard that, I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to come to the set a lot. He, um, he was nice, actually. I have a really loud laugh, and he liked my laugh, thankfully, because it's very polarizing. So, so when that show got canceled, where are you? Where's your mental mind frame? Because, as you said, it's political bullshit. You know, you it's it's doing well. You know, your guys are bringing a product that people are watching. As a writer, are you thinking, you know, screw this? You know, maybe I'll write for a drama. Or what were you thinking? Right. Well, I was thinking. Um, I want to, I don't want to be in another writer's room that's someone else's show right now. I just want to do my own thing because I don't, the thought of like, the thought of sitting in someone else's room, another show, and like just, I was burnt. And I had written some stuff when I was like working on my book and I'd written some stuff, like a, I'd written a pilot that I have now that I've been very passionate about for years that I'm trying to, like, that just went out. But I was, I just didn't want to go, I, I just was like, I'm, I'm done with going on staff and then and then so I developed the next year like just wrote scripts and now so how is that but I really was like I was very rattled by that because it really was very shocking well what's it like going back on your own and writing a script when it's just you now I mean you know as you said in the writer's room you have people can add can do this can do this but when you're writing on your own it's really testing your comedic chops yes and you have to like and you're doing stuff in a vacuum so you, you lean on we all lean on each other a lot we help each other and stuff but I mean there's only so much you have to do it yourself and you can't get like ground down and you have to just keep moving forward it's definitely harder it's hard There, there's it all sucks like it's like you know I'm gonna do my own thing this year and I'm gonna have the freedom to like go be where I want when I like go to like work out and stuff and be with my kids and then the other side of that is there's no security and also it's when you're done, you're never done with work, kind of. Like, it follows you everywhere, and it's, there's so much pressure. So either way, it's, you know, it's bad. Well, you, you come off <laughs> oh, I worked on Jeff's show, though. I worked on Jeff's yeah, show. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I love that show. That was mm-hmm. so damn funny. Now, was it easy for you to I get that, that job? Show. Was it easy, or did Jeff say, call you and say, hey, why don't you come work for me? How did that work? Because he was the creator. He was the creator, and they didn't have, like, a ton of money for writers for writer staff, like they did, they dealt with very little and they did amazingly well. So, um, so I went on as a consultant right away. He was like, I want you to be on the show. And I remember the first day sitting there, I was like, wait a minute. I told myself that I would always, I would only work with Jeff, not for Jeff. So we regressed into our older brother, younger sister roles very quickly. And one of the writers said that it was like watching Mrs. Maisel at the end of the table. (laughs) two of us but um but yeah he was like I want you to be on the show and I was not going to go on any staff but it was actually it was great it was really fun it was three days a week which is the best and um and he knew exactly what he wanted and it was great it was it was it's such a funny show that's another thing like I don't understand why that's not on the air anymore yeah that's that's, not like a huge hit yeah this one time my fiance started watching that she goes this is really good you'll like it so I started watching the first season and then the second season was just 
you know, they were just, it was so funny. And that's one of those things you, you sit there once again, there's so much, I don't, I don't want to be sound like a jerk, but there's so much crappy comedy around, you know, with everything know. Like, and that was, I mean, that, that was one of those, that was like a Christopher Guest type show, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the documentary. And that must also have got you a little pissed off because you went through a bad experience with two broke girls and now you're dealing with this. I know it's horrible too because like it it was in the bullseye in Entertainment Weekly and like Jeff didn't even know what that meant but I was like they don't put anything in the bullseye they're so critical like it was the bet it's so critically good and nobody cares and it's so frustrating because they don't care the network doesn't it's all political it's all like financial it's all it's there's no rhyme and reason or reason to it so you can't get too attached to anything now were you on season two was I on season? I was on season two. Okay. Yeah. During season one, I was on two book roles. Now, what's it like writing for someone like Kristen Chenoweth, who's just your brother said she was just amazing. How he even got her for the show? He said he was surprised. She was amazing. She read the script and she was like, "I'm dying to do this." She was so sweet. She is so funny. I had no idea how funny she was before. I really didn't know anything about her before, and um, she just even like she burped, like she added things. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, she was she was great. I mean, and Sherry Shepard is so, they were all so fantastic. It doesn't make any sense to me. Still, I still don't get it. I don't. I, I hate still that. think like it's gonna it's gonna come back, even though it's not. So you you got off that show because that yeah. hopefully they'll bring it back. I mean, but of course they won't, they won't. because networks are just right. dumb. And yeah, now now you ended up on the Connors. Now, what? Well, I was on Roseanne. I was supposed to be on Roseanne, and then that first day, um, she tweeted that tweet so um so we we left <laughs> promptly i saw tim stack that morning actually as i was walking off the lot um and i was like i don't know what just happened but anyway so we we left and then like a month later or however long later they called and they were like we're gonna do a show called you know we're gonna do another show they didn't have a title and it was starting like the next monday and I was like, I was writing my book, but her tweet afforded me so much time to write this book because I just sold it right before that. Um, so it was actually, she did me a favor. But, um, so I went on the Connors and um, it was weird. It was definitely weird. And I actually wound up leaving after a few months. I wrote one episode and I was there until like the, until production started. And then it just wasn't, I wanted to do my own thing. So I left. So now it wasn't, it was one of those situations where I was like, kind of like they, they, it felt a little it, we, they, a lot of people were very sidelined and I was like, if I'm going to spend all this time in a room, it should be worth it. So anyway, so that that's then, and now are you just concentrating on your book now or, or I, I read something that no, you, I'm doing, um, Oh, go ahead. No, didn't you get a, a, the pilot called like big house or, or. Didn't you create? Yes, that was the big house. That was last year when they, two years ago, when they told me to start looking for directors, um, and that didn't. So that didn't go anywhere. Um, and now I'm doing. I'm adapting. I'm going to be. I have a deal at CBS um, Studios, so I'm going to be pitching a um, this Israeli format that I'm going to adapt, and maybe the maybe the book as a show. I kind of didn't want to rush into that, but I might. Um, so I'll probably do two things, but I'm doing the Israeli show and then that I'm going to be pitching. And then I'm also doing, um, probably going to develop either one other thing or the book. And I also have a, another thing that I'm another pilot separate from everything that I'm going out with. So 
So I like a lot of stuff that might wind up being dust. Now, the book, we'll get, I'm going to get back to the book before we go. Yeah. Was that, what, how do you feel about the book when it's, when you looked at the final copy? What were your feelings? Well, there were two lines in there that I thought I cut in the, in the last line edit. <laughs> so those are my, I focus on those, um, that weren't anything that I would like really say. I don't know why they, I guess they were placeholders, but it's fine. Um, I can't read it. I can't read anything I've written. I don't listen to the audio. Um, and uh, it, it's hard for me to even look at it. But it's, it's crazy because it's like having a kid, I think. Like you, it's all this anticipation, and then you're like, what if nobody likes it? And that's exactly how I feel. But people like, were liking I it. I still had control over it. What'd you say? People were liking it. I've seen the reviews. Yeah, people are liking it. Thank God. Yeah, the reviews are really good. It's just really hard to sell your own book also. Like I don't have like a huge... It's, it, it really is very hard to... You know, there's no... The reviews, I guess, are what I really care about because the finance, you know, there's no, like, it's not for the money. It's definitely a passion thing, but um, but then you start getting, it's like ratings and stuff. You start getting obsessed with, like, how it's doing, even though I have no way of knowing because I don't really understand that stuff. Right. Now, now so. weren't you at Book Soup with, with your brother? Or were, did, yes. What was that? I did, the, I did the reading at Book Soup. I read a chapter, like an excerpt. Um, and I signed books. That was like, that was amazing. And I did the Howard Stern wrap up show on Friday, which was like a bucket list thing. So, um, those have been good things. Well, good. You know, I want, I want to, it's th- very weird to see it out there for sure. It's oh, yeah. very weird to see it on shelves. And you see your name, you see your, it's like, you know, it's like, Hey, Liz Astroff. So it's a cool thing. I know. It's, it's cool. It's, I have to like, let myself enjoy it for a minute. Yeah, it's please. Well, I, I want to thank you for taking the time today. Uh, thank people, you. The book is called so Don't Wait Up, Confessions of a Stay-Home Mom. Now you tweet. What, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Liz Astroff. Okay. So people follow her on Twitter. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net, where you'll find over 745 episodes. You can email me, Cooper, at coopertalk.net. And iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in. I'm on all of them. Just search one word, Cooper Talk. So check out Liz's book. Go on IMDb. Look at her great career. Maybe go on Netflix or go watch some of that stuff. So I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vitamins, take your vegetables. I screwed it up. And you guys have a great day. Huh.